This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Okay, so welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal, and we've got Dr. Gleb Tsipersky. And did I pronounce that correctly? Tsipersky? That's great. Okay. Yep, great. High five, Gleb. Yeah, and, high five. And we're going to be talking about some absolutely relevant materials for everybody here that's listening to this podcast on decision-making, decision-making. Who doesn't have a problem with decision-making? Who couldn't use a little help figuring out what to do with the whole decision-making process? And Gleb has written a couple of books on it, so we're going to be talking about it in great detail. But before we get started, let's just have a couple of quick introductory remarks from uh, and about our two sponsors. You you listeners already know how much we love the reality of data here at CBJ. And today we welcome our clinical friend and our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory right outside of Chicago. They set a new standard for methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. They measure them directly. And all of these measurements directly affect brain function. And remember this. If they can serve professionals in Nigeria, they can certainly help you out there in Fargo. Stay tuned. We'll have more in a minute. And then, in addition, you CBJ listeners also appreciate the fact that we love detailed improvements of mind care, generally speaking. And today, we're pleased to welcome a new CBJ sponsor and partner with a deep interest in fresh options to address the complexity of adolescent treatment failure nationally and internationally with a residential built-in TRICARE-friendly foundation. The Barry Robinson Center here in Norfolk provides a holistic residential environment that sets children, teens, and families on the path to a very evolved healing. From personal experience, I know their work with families we've shared here in Norfolk, a truly different residential experience. More in a moment, folks. So let me tell you about Dr. Gleb Tsipersky. He's from Columbus, Ohio, joining us here on Skype or on Zoom. He provides expertise in science-based decision-making and emotional and social intelligence to help leaders and organizations avoid complete disaster. He researches these topics as a tenure-track professor at the Ohio State University's Decision Sciences Collaborative and History Department. That is a mouthful, serious professor thinking about decision-making. Gleb runs a nonprofit in addition that popularizes science-based strategies for effective decision-making, goal achievement, emotional and social intelligence, meaning and purpose, mental and emotional well-being, and altruism, get this, in politics, business, and other life areas. He has written several articles, and he has written a couple of books. Tonight, we're going to be talking about one of those books, his 
uh, most well-known book, which he's already written, is Find Your Purpose Using Science, and then his pro-truth politics, fighting post-truth politics and alternative facts with behavioral sciences. So he's into pro-truth, fighting post-truth, and he does this. He does speaker training, consulting, and coaching. We're really looking forward to pre- and post-truth. We like truth, Gleb, and Gleb's going to tell us a little bit about how to find it. So welcome aboard. Now, what are you doing right now with yourself? I mean, this is a lot to be doing with one guy. So This is a lot. So fortunately, I have a team of people to help. You uh, know, the reason I uh, founded the nonprofit is that, you know, there are lots of great people out there who are public intellectuals who go out and you know, popularize science and that are well known as individual scientist popularizers. People mm -hmm. like Bill Nye, people uh, like uh, Tyson and so on. People who are really, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I meant, yeah, not yeah. like Tyson. Uh, people who are really well known, but you know, I didn't want to be in that boat. I didn't want to be just, you know, one person whose legacy is just a whole bunch of great books. I wanted an organization, a team, someone, mm -hmm. people who, you know, if I get hit by a bus, who could mm -hmm. take this uh, work forward. Mm -hmm. And this is what enables me to work together with a whole bunch of other people who are passionate about the same stuff that I am, about truth, effective decision-making in politics and business and other life areas, and improving our society as a whole. Gleb, how does that nonprofit work? Do you have a specific practice? Do you have a specific activity that you folks do with the nonprofit? How does that work? So what we do is we produce a whole bunch of content that's the, that actually popularizes the research and decision-making in all of these life areas, in politics, business, and uh, in relationships, everything. So we produce articles, videos, blogs, apps, books. We have meetings, we have trainings, and uh, our most, our biggest effort in the political sphere is a the pro-truth pledge at protruthpledge.org, which we'll talk about later in the show. So we have a whole variety of initiatives that are designed to achieve the goals of promoting truth and rational thinking in politics and other life areas so to help us improve our society. I apologize. So what's the name of that group? What's, what's the name of your group? Intentional Insights is the name of the nonprofit okay. at intentionalinsights.org. So folks can check it out. Again, that's intentionalinsights.org, and you'll see a whole list of blogs. So we have blogs on our front page, and then lots of videos and articles and memes and so on. So we essentially research the most effective ways to popularize and practice the most effective ways of popularizing decision-making and the, all of these other things for a broad audience. Oh, that's fantastic. You're going to enjoy uh, listening to the podcast with the gentleman just before who was talking. His name is uh, John Kennedy. He's on episode 123, and he's been talking about how to bring people back from brain trauma mm. and actually prevent trauma by mm. encouraging neuroplasticity with specific activities. You're going to enjoy sure. that because your guys are very much on the same path. It sounds very interesting. Absolutely. Yes. One of the things that people uh, forget is that mental well-being is on a spectrum. It's not either you're ill or you're not. And what we try to do is improve people's mental well-being 
to help them flourish as opposed to simply live. <laughs> well, that sounds so interesting. Let's take a moment to uh, go into that a little more deeply, if you don't mind. Like, sure. do you have specific programs, techniques, practices that you encourage for people to have so they can be better at decision-making and thinking more clearly? Absolutely. So there are lots of stuff that people can do. One thing is to realize why we make bad decisions. So I always like to start from the question of why. I think it helps folks because, you know, lots of people think that, well, I'll just go with my gut. I'll just see what my gut tells me and uh, go with that. Well, research on decision-making shows that our gut is very well adapted to making decisions in the savannah environment. <laughs> in, in which environment? Say that again. In which, in which in environment? The, in the savannah environment. Oh, yeah. In the environment of <laughs> our ancestors. If, if you're out there in the woods, you can make this. Yes. Yes. Right. That's, that's, that's good. I'm, you know, I'm sorry I didn't that, understand. The savannah no is a different context. No question about it. So that's we were evolved for the savannah environment. That's mm -hmm. where our guts, that's where our intuitions are to be really trusted. Mm -hmm. And that's, they're very comfortable. They are meant to be that fight or flight response to flee from saber-toothed tigers and fight against attacking tribes. And that's mm -hmm. a good environment, you know, if that's where you're living in. But, mm -hmm. you know, the modern environment for the vast majority of us who are not spending our time in the woods and is not that, mm -hmm. you know, it, that's not the environment that we live in. And that's what leads to a num whole bunch of bad decisions. You know, if our boss is giving us constructive criticism, it's not good to yell back and fight back against our boss and punch our boss in the face, which yeah. is the temptation to do, or to shut down. You know, that's the flight response to like run out of our boss's office. Mm -hmm. but neither of those are productive for helping us actually keep our job and improve our performance, right? Mm -hmm. Or that's one, you know, that's in the workplace. Or let's say if we are, uh, you know, many people are having difficulties with weight. Well, the major reason is because of our evolution tells us that we need to eat all the food, all the sweet food that we can. You know, when, when our gut reactions, when our intuitions tell us to eat that second and third and fourth piece of chocolate cake, that's not necessarily a good thing. Right. But, you know, that's what our gut tells us to do because that's the environment, in the Sven environment, we needed to eat that in order to survive. So, and that has to do with one of our two systems of thinking, the emotional intuitive system called system one or the autopilot system by scholars, mm -hmm. by people like Daniel Kahneman and so on. So the autopilot system is the system of emotions, intuitions. It's very powerful. It forms, uh, it acts in milliseconds. Now that system is counterbalanced by another system called the intentional system or system two. So the intentional system evolved as human beings started living together in tribes. And for us to actually, you know, not punch our shaman in the mouth or whatever, the <laughs> boss of the tribe in the mouth when he was giving us constructive criticism. So that's where that system evolved. It, unfortunately, it's much weaker than the autopilot system. It takes about a second to turn on versus milliseconds. So it's hundreds of times slower. It takes a lot of effort to use the intentional system. And so it's very important for us to remember that our guts are going to often steer us wrong. Our intuition is often going to steer us wrong. Fortunately, we can learn a whole series of cases 
where it's going to steer us wrong, systematic patterns where it's going to steer us wrong and avoid those. And the trick is to learn about these cognitive biases. It's what the scholarship calls cognitive biases, thinking errors, where we will make bad decisions because of our autopilot system and other phenomena and help us retrain ourselves using our intentional system to have better instincts and intuitions. That sounds very, very interesting. Now let's take that down to an example, if you don't yep. mind, because Happy cognitive bias is totally interesting because, I mean, if you think about all of the things that we deal with that are so um, destructive to the evolution of humankind, like racism, yes. I mean, that is a manifestation, I would think, of cognitive bias. Absolutely. It is. So if you could give us a couple of other more uh, nuanced cognitive biases, that would be helpful so we could really sure. understand what you're talking about there, please. Sure. So I'll give an example uh, that comes from my consulting. So I do consulting and coaching for uh, as part of my work. Um, and so I was doing some consulting for a nonprofit whose board, whose executive director was getting some pushback from his board of directors. And he was, they were, uh, he was experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration, but he was not willing to tell them about it because he thought that they would fire him if he showed weakness. So he showed a bias, which is called pessimism bias. He showed excessive negative thinking, pessimism bias, excessive risk avoidance, thinking that things will turn out poorly. Now, eventually, I worked with him, and he did reveal to the board that he was experiencing anxiety and stress, and the board responded very positively. They were very supportive and generous and helpful for him. Unfortunately, he was pretty burned out already, so in a few months, he just couldn't bear it. He had to resign. Now, if he uh, at least, you know, so, but it, it showed that he you know, did it and that the board was actually quite supportive. So if he did it earlier, if he overcame that cognitive bias earlier of pessimism, he would have been able to function well. The nonprofit wouldn't have to go for an ex expensive executive director search, and he wouldn't have to change his you know, position to a new career. So that's an example of where a cognitive bias you know, led somebody in a really bad direction where he could have avoided it and uh, if he you know, overcame it earlier and would have been better for own involved. It sounds like a very interesting and useful example. One of the things that occurs to me while you're speaking is uh, a person I knew well years ago, uh, Edward de Bono, who has written a book called Six Thinking Hats. Mm -hmm. And yes. one of the hats in the thinking hats is black hat, which would be a cognitive bias. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because in, in meetings, individuals come up with, a, okay, that won't work. This is not going to happen. You can't do that because of this, which is a manifestation, which I hadn't thought of until this moment, of a cognitive bias. I didn't have that framework upon which sure. to, to rest it. So that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. Right. And folks who are curious to learn more about cognitive biases can go to, I'm, I'm a professor, I don't often recommend Wikipedia, but in this case I would. There's a lot of good people working on the list of cognitive biases in Wikipedia. So if they just enter a list of cognitive biases into Wikipedia, they can look at over a hundred examples of the list of cognitive biases. And the black hat thinking, the pessimistic thinking, uh, I know what you're talking about, is definitely an example of that sort of cognitive bias, uh, of the pessimism bias. And there are a whole lot of other 
uh, biases that really harm people. So we talked to one about business. Let me go into an example about politics. You know, one of the things that really harms us in politics is the confirmation bias. And the confirmation bias is the typical, is, an, is a cognitive bias where people basically look for information that confirms their beliefs and ignore information that disconfirms their beliefs. So even accurate information, even true information that disconfirms their beliefs. There's a related actually bias, which is kind of worse, which is called the backfire effect. So the backfire effect is a phenomenon where if people are given information that goes against their current beliefs, they're given accurate information, true information that goes against their beliefs, they hold more strongly to their current beliefs. So for example, people who believe uh, that, uh, let's say vaccines cause autism. If you give them information showing that vaccines don't, and you ask them to rate what is their strength of their belief on a scale of one to 10, and let's say they say seven, that vaccines cause autism, and you give them information showing that vaccines don't cause autism, accurate, true information, and you ask them to evaluate their strength of their belief, they would evaluate it at something like a nine. Mm -hmm. So accurate information about vaccines not causing autism, which they don't, uh, leads to a strengthening of the belief in the counter. So that's called the backfire effect. So interesting. Yeah, that's great. And, and we've seen that confirmation effect so often in quote-unquote scientific thinking. Yes. Because a person can go right down the path because they're actually in a political mm -hmm. uh, direction already with the outcome uh, suffering from a process of groupthink as opposed to dealing with the data itself. It's the group mm -hmm. has made a decision and we're not going to go against the group. Mm -hmm. And then there's that confirmation bias that occurs. Yes, and that's uh, very insightful because what happens with groupthink, so it all relates back to the evolutionary environment. Now, in the evolutionary environment, people who went against the group around them did not survive very well. <laughs> so we are all... All of our ancestors, we are the children, the grand-grand-grand-grandchildren of people who successfully avoided looking the truth in the face for the sake of group survival. So uh, that, is, where, that is a heck of a statement right there. I mean, that, that, is, that is a quote-unquote right there for sure. This is true. We are. This is just the fact, the fact of the matter is, you know, there's nothing inherently better about our group than other groups but we survived because we banded together or our ancestors banded together and they opposed other groups and they refused to, they conformed to the group norms they, and they weren't kicked out of the group and their group survived and they survived within the group. So we have a very, very strong bias toward being within the group and conforming to the group, even against the facts of reality. So if your friends, let's say, all happen to be liberal, or if your friends all happen to be conservative, what is the likelihood that you would be willing to admit something that goes against your beliefs, but something that is accurate? You would have to go against the group. And that is a very intentional system thing to do. That's a very system two thing to do. It's not a very autopilot, not a very intuitive thing to do at all. Our intuitions tell us that whatever is comfortable Whatever is comfortable, whatever fits our gut's intuitions is true. And that's not right at all. What is tr truth is often something that makes us very uncomfortable if it goes against group norms, if it goes against our current beliefs.
And unfortunately, many people mistake what feels comfortable for what is true. Now, clarify this for me, because that was very interesting. As you were going down the path, talking about biases and group thinking, I was in, in the back of my mind beginning to think about the intentional system. Mm-hmm. But I was expecting that the intentional system, which sounds like it's more cognitively rather than emotionally based, mm-hmm. that emotional would be more of a belief thing yeah. and cognitive would be more of a Galileo effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the pre-Galileo would be the sun's rotating around. It mm-hmm. sure looks like it is. And Rome is the center of the universe. Sure. Then the Galileo effect, which would be more the intentional system, Here's the data. Look through the telescope. There's a whole universe of things going on. Now, having said that, in this particular case, it looked like the it all became very naughty. If you could explain this to me, I'd really appreciate it because sure. on the one so hand, can, there's the group can, thing. Yeah, go ahead, sure. please. So you can imagine, let's say uh, there's a person uh, who sees, but let's go with Galileo. Galileo sees that, you know, looks at the data and sees that the data tells him that uh, the earth is actually spinning around the sun. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and tells his friends, hey, what do you know? The earth is spinning around the sun. And his friends go, well, that's interesting. And then the church hears about it. Mm-hmm. And then the church says, naughty, naughty Galileo, you can't say that. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we are going to burn you if you say that. And then Galileo says, um, Okay, fine, church. <laughs> yes. So uh, then, uh, yeah, sure. I don't want to be burned. Then mm-hmm. uh, I'll, 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 I'll agree with you and I'll say that the sun goes around the earth. That's how our minds function. We, when we get new information, we, uh, you know, we don't want to go against the group. We don't want to be burned. We don't want that consequence. So many people, even when they see... Uh, this is, this is kind of, you know, a very brief description of what goes on in a very intuitive manner in our minds. We don't want to go against what our friends believe. We don't want to go against what uh, the group believes unless we make a very deliberate effort to do so, unless we make a hard, uh, effortful decision to value the truth more than we value group norms. And here, it's a matter of what in the psychology we call reframing. Reframing what we value, reframing where we put our group norms. Do we want to align ourselves with people who believe in the same ideological values that we do? Or do we want to align ourselves with people who value the truth? So where do we want to, who do we want to be our group? And this is something that I've been working on a lot to change how people perceive their group identity and group belonging and what they orient toward valuing. And I find that that is fundamental. That's what the Pro-Truth Pledge is about. That's what's fundamentally important in order to get our society to orient toward valuing the truth and not valuing just their ideological belonging. Well, that is a very important question that's now pulled together. And I I want to ask you this question, save it after we have this little break from our sponsors, because we're going to take a pause here. But one of the questions I want to ask you is, you said it a little bit, but I want you to tease it apart a little further, because it sounds like the intentional system has a more cognitively validated uh, truth direction within Mm -hmm. it 
But what you're saying, no, there's this other dichotomy that exists because the group can pull down the intentionality in a certain respect and go back over to the autopilot system one thinking. And so I'm going to ask you more about that in just a moment. So we'll take a break and I look forward to your explanation. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations, may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression on every level for families, including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know? We refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing. So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash Core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, welcome back, folks. We are engaged in a very, very interesting conversation. And really, it's a segue into uh, Gleb's book. We're going to be talking about his book because you can see we're working over there. But the question was simply, how does that interface work between individuals in the intentional system who are really looking for truth because intentionality has something to do with the seeking of truth? And then there's a certain measure of intentionality which may or may not be truth-related. And so I would, I would like you to please te- tease that apart for us, if you don't mind. Sure. So we can use, the research shows that we can use our intentional system to redirect our autopilot system. So this is the key here. Our autopilot system, our intuitions are not oriented toward the truth. Our natural group reactions are not oriented toward the truth. So that's just what the research shows. They're not. We can choose intentionally, deliberately, to redirect our autopilot system to value the truth more than it naturally, intuitively does. 
it's the process of going from a caveman mentality to a civilized person mentality. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Coming off the savannah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Leaving the, the leaving the elephants and getting down to the bonfire. <laughs> exactly. So that is part of the evolutionary process. Unfortunately, there are forces within our society which would like to take us back to this to the savannah to so true. the elephants. So true. And so this is the question which groups do you want to align yourself with now and here uh, here's the tricky thing that the groups that we align ourselves with that's part of the process of retraining our elephant our autopilot system so our autopilot system is not simply dependent on us alone on us independently there's research on something that's called network effects network effects are, is research on peer groups, on peer pressure. So we are very influenced by those people with whom we choose to associate. We identify strongly with certain people who are around us, are either leaders, no, well, not either, both leaders as role models and people close to us. So part of the retraining of our autopilot system by our intentional system, this intentional shift, is choosing to identify different value systems, different group roles and different role models. So that's what, the, what I'm talking about, about retraining. And there's a lot of research showing that retraining is very possible. We can change our mental habits, we can change our emotions, we can change our intuitions if we deliberately try to do so through the intentional system. And so that's that what, what I'm working on in my work on the book and on the ProTruth Pledge at ProTruthPledge.org. So then let's run that uh, point that point back against fighting post-truth politics. Mm -hmm. So then fighting post-truth politics is an evolution away from the truth that dr draws you back into the autopilot system. Is that correct? Yes. So post-truth politics is politics based on lies and deceptions, based on tribalism and appeals to our emotions and intuitions. That's what Oxford Dictionary defined post-truth politics as appeals to, it chose post-truth politics as the word of the year in 2016. It defined it as appeals to emotions and personal beliefs over facts and a situation where those conditions are winning. And so pro-truth politics is politics that's opposed to that. It's going toward truth, rational thinking, effective decision-making. And that is politics that's not based on tribalism, that's not based on the savannah. It's based on a more civilized approach that helps us make the best decisions for the most good of our society. That's very interesting. Of course, one, one's mind does uh, slip into the current political situation, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> but the issue is that even today in mm -hmm. contemporary times, there is a seduction to the autopilot system. Of course. And There's it's going on all the time. Seduction. There's always a seduction. It's always our intuitions. Our intuitions will always align with the autopilot system. You know, you might have heard the phrase, uh, light travels around the world before truth has time to get its boots on. That colloquial <laughs> phrase, yeah. it's a colloquial phrase, but it's true. Mm -hmm. It's because the lies appeal to our intuitions. They appeal to the confirmation bias. They appeal to the backfire effect, which we talked about earlier. And so we always need to be vigilant in order to be civilized 
in order to orient our truth. And so this is what I'm talking about in my book. And this is what I'm doing with the project of the Pro-Truth Pledge at protruthpledge.org. So that is a behavioral science-based instrument that I and a bunch of other behavioral scientists came up with in order to help all of us, private citizens and public figures, and politicians especially, orient toward the truth and away from lies. It's essentially something like a, bet, like a Better Business Bureau seal of approval, <laughs> where people who take it uh, commit to 13 truth-oriented behaviors that research in behavioral science shows are aligned with the truth. And that is what we are aiming to do, aiming to get everyone, private citizens, public figures, like I'm a public figure, I go on these journals, you're a public figure, do a podcast, politicians, uh, media commentators, prominent scientists, CEOs, everyone who are public figures and ordinary private citizens, all the listeners of this show, to go to protruthpledge.org and sign it and show their commitment to the truth. So now those 13, we won't ask you to go into them, although I think every one, single one of them would be interesting. Mm-hmm. But, but is it downloadable? Do you have a PDF over there or something with the protruthpledge.org that breaks down those 13 uh, steps to understanding? Sure. I mean, yeah, uh, folks can just go to protruthpledge.org and look at them. They're very easy to look at. We have a separate file with people who want to print them out or flyers. I mean, they're very easy. You know, I can read a couple. One is, I'll strive to avoid sharing misinformation, even in service to a cause I believe is good. Another mm-hmm. one is, if my information is challenged, I will make reasonable effort to verify it if, that it is true before repeating it and retract it if I cannot verify it. And a third is, I'll gladly celebrate those who retract incorrect statements and update their beliefs toward the truth. And there are 10 more like it. Oh, that's it's fantastic. All- yeah. yeah. Very, very interesting. I mean... I'm so pleased we had a chance to talk to you. I mean, this is, this is so interesting. Now, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Because numbers, from my limited perception, I haven't gone into it nearly as thoroughly as you have, but I've intuitively been seeking the truth myself. It's one of the reasons that's why it's called Core Brain Journal, because mm-hmm. we're trying to get down to the core of what's mm-hmm. actually going on with brain functioning so we can see its application in real time in reality. Yep. So we don't have any more mysticism, dreams, labels, and games. We're into what's actually going on. Now, how do, how do numbers fit into the pro-truth pledge? Do, are numbers helpful or can numbers themselves are numbers be? Very, yeah. Numbers are very helpful uh, because one of the things that we encourage people to do is place evaluations of probability on their uh, estimations of reality, you know. How much do I believe in this fact? Do I believe it? You know, people usually say, I believe it or I don't believe it, or I'm not sure. Now, wouldn't it be better if people said, I have a 70% likelihood of this being the case. And if given, you know, more information, uh, I can update that to an 80% likelihood or disproving information would bring it to a 60% likelihood. So that's definitely a much more accurate way of evaluating reality. And that's called probabilistic thinking versus kind of, you know, a binary thinking. Binary thinking is something we don't want to practice. (laughs) That's a black and white thinking versus probabilistic thinking where we place estimates on our value of reality is a much healthier and more accurate way of communicating and evaluating reality. 
Well, I'm so glad that you gave a name to what I try to do. Now, I, I can say I've talked with a very smart guy who, who gives this some credibility because, you know, when I'm diagnosing someone with ADD or with an executive function problem, I don't like ADD because it's too reductionistic. But if I'm saying, look, you have an executive function problem, I say to them, look, it's really only about 30% of your personality. I want to make it really clear to you, you've got 70 doing really well. And this 30% is the problem that you're struggling with. I'm not giving you a label that's counterproductively reductionistic and throws you into some kind of outdated box. The issue is what are you actually working on? And it's only about 30%. And if we get you up to, goodness knows, we're not going to get you to 100%. None of us are 100%. Yes. But if we can get you up to 5% imbalance, then good for you. That's a great. That's you know, great. And then you can evaluate that, you know, how this person moves along the spectrum. And they know exactly what they're doing, you know, <laughs> not to wear out Galileo's name, but one of my favorite quotes from Galileo is, uh, measure, will, measure what is measurable and make measurable what is not so. <laughs> yeah, that's very wise. And so, so what you're saying is these numbers, and I think numbers are going to change the face of contemporary psychiatry and, and mind health. Excellent. Because if we're really using numbers when we're thinking about it, then we're in a uh, more complete and comprehensive perspective than mm -hmm. thinking more on the paleo level, you know, looking on the autopilot system, black, white, binary. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for sharing that. It's very, very interesting. Sure. One of now, the interesting things about our autopilot system is that it doesn't deal well with numbers. So our intentional system is the one that deals well with numbers. The autopilot system also doesn't deal well with long-term thinking. That's the intentional system. So kind of in any sort of decision that requires numbers or long-term thinking, we want to be really clear about using our intentional system as opposed to going with our intuition. Yeah, I mean, and that's really what we're engaged here at Core Brain Journal. It's all long-term thinking. I mean, this whole thing has to change for the evolution of humankind. I mean, we're thinking much larger terms than, you know, what did you have for breakfast? You know? sure. Well, Glad, this is really interesting. Let me uh, take this one step further. Now, you are going to share a complimentary version of your book uh, for our audience on mm -hmm. a drawing giveaway. Thank you so much for doing that. Which sure. book was that that you were going to share? Find Your Purpose Using Science. Okay, find your purpose using science. So I'll have that, I'll have that on there. That's, that's fantastic because even when you say find your purpose using science, that is a manifestation of what we were just talking about. Absolutely. It's because, about long-term thinking. So research in meaning and purpose shows that me, what meaning and purpose is, it's essentially the overarching drive that pulls us out of bed every morning and causes us to go out and do the things that we do. People who lack that are unfortunately have quite a bit less mental health and physical health. So having that long-term orientation, that overarching drive is important for mental health and physical health. And that's why I wrote the book to help people address those things. Oh, fantastic. That is great. So then now this is going to be a somewhat inane question based on the uh, intelligent perspective that you have. But I think it's a, a question that might come from a certain primitive level <laughs> from those of us who are not as deep as you are. It's almost an autopilot system question. But where can we constructively 
go from here as individuals? How, do, how, does this, how does this whole process of thinking more intentionally uh, take place? It's probably too much of a global question, but... Well, no, you, uh, I think what is important here is to, for people to see what, they, what kind of a world they want to live in. So that's always, from a longer-term perspective, that's always the kind of very healthy question to ask. What kind of a world do you want to live in? That's why, you know, I was working on Meaning and Purpose. I published that book a few years ago. I was working on a whole bunch of things. But two years ago, I shifted my energy to politics because I was seeing the lies and deceptions in our political system mm -hmm. as the most dangerous thing for the future of our world, as something that would really undermine our society. And that's why I'm working on the book uh, for fighting post-truth politics and alternative facts right now. And that's why I'm working on pro-truth pledge uh, at protruthpledge.org. So other folks should see what kind of world they want to live in, what they want to focus on. I think it's great that there's a resource like Core Brain Journal to help people you know, enrich their thinking and improve their mental well-being and knowledge on these sorts of topics. Like I said, intentional insights from intentionalinsights.org is another source that they can engage with. And if people want a more truth-oriented society, I'd strongly recommend that they just go to protruthpledge.org and take a minute to sign the pledge. It doesn't take much effort, but it's so important to have a society for us that will be more truth-oriented. We actually have specific incentives and punishments for public figures who choose to take the pledge to make sure that they stick to the pledge. So we have a number of politicians who took the pledge, a number of radio show hosts, number of reporters, and so on. And they have both rewards and punishments because those have been shown by research to be quite effective in ensuring behavior change. So that's another important point. I think you need a cabinet position, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, can see, I can see you in the meeting. Hey, guys, <laughs> let's stay with the facts here. This is, we're going too far afield. You could just be you know, riding the train, you could be the engineer pulling a few levers. You may not necessarily say where the train is going, but you get the process operating correctly. You know, that's, yes. that's really what we're talking about. Nobody's yes. trying to rule the world here. Yeah. It's just how do we actually manage ourselves more effectively in the context of contemporary reality? Absolutely. And the pledge is about the process and not telling you what the truth is. Here are just 13 behaviors it's a process. Here are 13 behaviors that you follow in order to be, create um, the most truth-oriented society. Follow it yourself, get other people to follow them, encourage, you know, share about the pledge on social media, share about the pledge with your network, and so on. It's about shaping our world to be as effective at making decisions as it can be. Because one of the most fundamental things of making decisions is seeing reality clearly. And if we can't see reality clearly, we're going to make bad decisions that will really harm us in the long term. Gleb, I can tell you, I am personally going to go over there and sign up. There's no question about it. It's, uh, we're, we're on the same path. I didn't know it when we started talking. I was interested in what you were thinking about, but we're totally on the same path. And I think every single one of our listeners really that is appreciating this conversation needs to go over and actually dedicate themselves to the principles of what we're talking about. And actually, I, I think it could be a learning experience to really watch ourselves and husband our own reactions 
to reality to keep ourselves free from the influence of regressive uh, groupthink autopilot systems. You know, I so much agree. It's so important. And community support, one of the nice things about signing the pledge is that you join a community of people who are committed to doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about, changing your community, changing your values, changing your norms, who you perceive to be part of your community is fundamentally important to being the person that you want to be in the future. Well, Gleb, I'd like to invite you back. We're winding down here. We know where to connect with you. It's going to be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put some other pieces in there. I mean, I'm totally with you on uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye. And, you know, know, the issue is uh, many of us here need to be more with a guy like you. And I think we need to have you back at some time in the future. I know we do, not think we do. And I think it'd be fun to, I'm, I'm imagining, the reason I'm saying thinking right now, I'm trying to imagine where we could go with this, but I'm sure you will have some news in I the future. I can, yeah, I can come back when I publish the book. I can send you a copy and then we can talk more thoroughly that would, about that. That would be a lot of fun. I would really appreciate it. Let's do that. That sounds like a, a good excuse to talk some more. Excellent. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate your being here. So you have a a good day and we will talk again soon, I hope. I hope so as well. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.